Hi, my name is Kristen, and the Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 6 through 9. A shoot will grow up on the stump of Jesse, and a branch will sprout from his roots. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole, and toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Matt. Uh, the New Testament reading is found in Revelations 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Ian. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Thank you for the kind words, Pastor Glenn. I, every time I hear Glenn say that, uh, it, may, it makes me seem like a better leader than I am, but all of you that have teams know this, that good teams make leaders look good. And uh, so this was a, the, one of the easiest decisions I've ever made in my life, two of them, marry Pam and let Glenn lead. I mean, those were like, <laughs> honestly, those are like two of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Follow Jesus, marry Pam, let Glenn do whatever he wants, because that is it's going <laughs> to... It's going to turn out really, really good if I do all three of those things. So far, I'm three for three on all that. So, uh, and, I'm, and I want to first apologize for not being down here more often. Our schedules have just been terrible. Uh, I wrote a book trying to solve that problem in my own life. Uh, now, and, and now I'm trying to live it. You know, writing it, it was really easy. Living it has been proven to be very difficult. So, but I'm trying. So now that, honestly, now that you have a 9 and 11, so Glenn and I, from time to time, will uh, switch uh, teaching pulpits. So we'll have Glenn up there. I'll be down here. We won't announce it because we want you to be here when I'm here, okay? So uh, you know you'll all run up to here, Glenn. So... Uh, 
All right, open up your Bible this morning. I want to uh, actually teach out of Isaiah 11 as well. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm grateful that they started in verse 6 because I'm going to cover the first five or first three verses, Isaiah 11, verse 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to also spend just a uh, few seconds in Isaiah 61. So if you want to turn to both of those places, I want to cover that today. I love that this is the Sunday of Advent, the, the one that we focus on joy. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a real student of culture and what's happening around us. I, like, I, love, I love paying attention you know, watching people, listening to people. And, you know, this is the time of the year where it seems to me there is the greatest cultural divide between what we believe is important as Christ followers and what the world considers important, right? I mean, it really is not any more obvious than right now during Advent, during the Christmas season, because the world's running around chasing after something that we know as Christ followers, well, it's never going to satisfy the deepest needs of their soul. We have found the source of life. We found the source of joy. Yet the world continues to chase after the mirage of happiness, right? Everyone wants to be happy. But happiness is something it seems like you always are having to chase down. It's something you never really get. It, it, it's a, it, like if you do catch it, it kind of, it's like sand that kind of falls through your fingers after a few minutes. It's, it's not something you can hold on to for a long time because circumstances change. I mean, I, I, I thought I was really happy, and a couple weeks ago, I came home from a trip, and there was a 70-pound dog at my house. My wife and daughter had decided we needed as a family, and so uh, I, I was really happy about the whole week, really excited about everything. All my circumstances were lined up perfectly, Glenn, until a 70-pound husky female dog greeted me at the door, shedding on my furniture. She is potty trained. Thank God. All my kids are too. That's, that's a big win. <laughs> but you see, that just, what, I'm, what I'm saying is little things like that, just to change in your circumstances, can, you, uh, can make happiness disappear. But the, the beautiful thing about joy, and I want to speak to you this morning about joy from a stump, which is the imagery, the metaphor that Isaiah uses when he's describing the Messiah and how the Messiah will appear. He'll appear from a stump, the stump of Jesse and what we know about joy is that joy can be found anywhere. As Christ followers, we just stumble upon joy all the time. Joy just seems to overtake us. So while others are out chasing after happiness, Christ followers are overtaken by joy. It's like we can stand still and have joy find us. But if you stand still, you'll never go find happiness because happiness is a pursuit that it seems to never stop. But joy is something that you can stand still and discover it all around you. See, I, and that's what I love about Advent. I love Advent because Advent was originally designed to slow people down, to focus their attention on the right things. And what, and what is the world? The culture tells us to speed up, to focus on the wrong things, to focus on the stuff on the outside. But Jesus and the leaders of the church, when they began to think about the church calendar, they knew that if we could just set aside four or five weeks before the actual celebration of the Lord's birthday to focus our attention, to slow down a bit, to maybe shift our eyes away from what the world says is right and important, to shift our eyes onto something that's more sustainable, joy. And, and we know this, that joy can come from the most unusual places. If you've been following with Jesus very long, maybe some of you are curious about Jesus, but a lot of us in this room are committed to Jesus and have been committed to following Jesus for a lot of years. And what we have found, that joy can just come from the most unusual places. I mean, you can find joy in things that you never once thought was joyful, but as Christ followers, we see God at work all around us. Yeah, yeah. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 11. Go there. To, if, I said all that to, so that you would find Isaiah 11. All right, Isaiah 11. 
Let's read the first three verses. It says, now again, Isaiah, who had the, the most, probably the, by volume and by clarity, had the best prophetic insight about the Messiah. Of all the prophets, Isaiah, by volume, by just the sheer number of prophecies about Jesus, but also just how clearly he saw the coming Messiah hundreds of years before he actually arrived. It's fascinating that Isaiah had this much insight. But listen to how he described it in verse 1. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, we know who Jesse, maybe you don't know who Jesse, who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of David, and you can trace Abraham's, you know, the father Abraham, you can trace his line, his lineage, all the way up to Jesse, and then obviously David and Solomon, and then if you keep going forward, it ultimately ends up in the, the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus. Jesus comes from this, this same lineage, so you can track Abraham to Jesse to David, all the way to King Jesus, his and, and that's, his, that's the way of God showing his faithfulness to a promise, by the way. God says, I'm going to be faithful to every generation. I'm gonna, the promises I've made one generation are going to overtake the next generation. I'm going to be faithful even when this generation is not faithful. I am going to remain faithful. And Isaiah is now writing this when there is a king on the throne. Isaiah is writing this when there is a, a literal king sitting on a literal throne in a literal nation of, of Israel. But he says, this is not always going to be true he said, there'll come a time where things will not look like they once did. It'll look like a stump. A, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Would you underline that if you have a Bible that you can mark in or a digital Bible that you can highlight? This is very important to see this because then he repeats himself. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit. You notice how often the Isaiah is saying, listen, if you don't get anything out of this passage, know the Holy Spirit's in, in, involved in this in a big way. The Holy Spirit's going to be very evidently involved in the birth of Jesus. And he says, and he'll, and he'll have the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will make, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, let's fast forward ourselves just for a moment, because the last king that sat on the throne of Israel was a young man named Zedekiah, I think. He was 21 years old when he came on the throne. And, and everyone thought, well, when Zedekiah dies, there'll be another king that will come to the throne of Israel. But something happened. Politically, some things happened. Culturally, some things happened. And I won't get into that too much today, but Zedekiah was the last king to sit on the throne. And then there was 400 years of silence. Fascinating. Yesterday, I went to see the, uh, the new movie that just came out, Exodus, God and Kings. It is a fictional account of a really good Bible story. And um, so I'll, that's the way I framed it. So if you go there looking for sound theology, you're going to be very disappointed. But it's a fictional account of a really good Bible story. And it's really good. Actually, I recommend it. It's really good. My, my, I took my kids. It was great. But, uh, you know, there was 400 years of silence for them as well. 400 years of captivity. The Hebrews... 400 years found themselves slaves in the land of Egypt, and then a type and shadow of Jesus appeared, Moses, from among them, and led them after 400 years of silence. Fast forward, Zedekiah dies, and God goes silent again for 400 years. And there is this prophetic picture, though, that's been painted for the people of Israel. And for the prophets of Israel, if they'd been paying attention to their nation's history, should have known that God is faithful to his promises. But 400 years is a long time. Our, our, the nation, our nation, the nation that most of us are, are citizens of, we're not fun, we're, that's older than our nation. We don't have 400 years of history in the United States. 
I mean, think about how long that is for a people to hold on to some kind of hope, a promise. And think how many people gave up along the way. I mean, we're, we are so fickle as Americans, we would have given up after a few hours probably. Maybe, a, maybe some of us could have held on for a few days. But I just don't think we're designed as a culture to hang on to things for very long. We are typically a microwave people living, trying to worship a marinating God, right? I mean, God's not into instant very often. He's into marinating. He's into actually putting the ingredients of a recipe together instead of pulling it out of the freezer. I mean, this is the way we are designed. We want stuff now. We want our hamburger now. We want to see it before we order it. And yet God says there are times when you have to trust me in the hidden places. You have to trust that I'm at work when you can't see it. You know, I know, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a reader, I'm a thinker, I'm a bit analytical. And early on in my walk with Jesus, the Lord had to break that off of my heart. That I had to know everything, I had to figure it out. My linear thinking had to be put under the baptism with Jesus. Say that I'm not always going to know the next step. I'm not always going to know when or how or how often. But will you trust that when things look like a stump, you know the imagery here that Isaiah is using is a stump. And a stump is a reminder of something great that was once there but has gone. And this happens in church world a lot. I mean, we're sitting in a high school theater right now. This is probably not the church you grew up in. High school theaters in downtown. I mean, this is so nostalgia is both can be a powerful thing, remind us of the good things of the past, a longing for the good things of the past. But you know what nostalgia can also do? It can tether you to the shore when the ocean is your home. When God says, wait on me, look for the new thing I'm doing, keep hoping, keep praying, the stump, quit, quit worshiping the stump, quit worshiping the past. The past is amazing. The past was, uh, uh, you know, some of you are going to go back to your parents' home in, in, in the next 10 or 12 days, and, and you're going to have all the great memories. But you forget about all the bad things sometimes that happen there. You just, somehow the home that you grew up in becomes more and more romantic the older you get. It, it seems bigger. It doesn't smell as bad as it once did. Mom's food has suddenly got much better than it really was back in the day when she was learning to cook as a young woman or your dad was cooking. And so nostalgia can pull us into treacherous waters. And, here's, and, and Isaiah was saying, listen, I know you are looking at the stump of David. So at the time that Jesus was about to be born, Roman rule, it was the Romans who dominated the culture. Romans had overtaken their land. And they were living under an oppressive regime that taxed them at 90% of their, of their earnings and crucified you and beat you and scourged you in public if you dared speak out against Caesar or against the local authorities. Fear, intimidation, and darkness. That's why Isaiah said, when Jesus appears, it's going to appear from a stump. It's going to appear from the remains of something that was once great. All right, so what does this mean for you and me today? There are some of you who are worshiping a stump today. Maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're not. Maybe you're fixated on something that, that was once great. And maybe, maybe there's a hope and a longing that things are going to look like that again. And they might, they may. They might. They may not. 
So what the tension that I want you to feel today as we talk through this story is, is what are you willing to wait for God to do? And how do you want God to do it? And are you willing to be disappointed and surprised by both of those questions? Are you willing to wait for God to do it? Are you willing for God to do it in a way that you never imagined or dreamed of? But it's God. Because if we have said to God, this is how I want you to do it, this is when I want you to do it, and these are all the results that I want to come from those two things, then what we've done is make God more of a grandfather that we can boss around than a God that we're worshiping. Is he the benevolent grandfather that gives you what you want, and when you want it, how you want it? You know, the grandfather that spoils his grandkids are, is he God? Is he the potter, and are we the clay? That's the imagery that all of the New Testament writers would have painted for us. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He shapes and forms and pours whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. So Pam and I, when we were a young married couple, uh, after a couple of years, we realized that we, weren't gonna, we, weren't, we just weren't able to have children. Lots of medical reasons. I won't bore you with those things or embarrass you. But um, it was, we just couldn't have kids, neither one of us. And uh, I've told some of you this. Some of you have heard this story, but we began to pray as a, a married couple because we knew we wanted to be parents. God began to put a hope inside of us for kids. That was strong. I mean, it was not just a wish. You know, it wasn't just a whim. It was a legitimate hope. God spoke to Pam and I that we were going to have children. But it was, wasn't going to happen naturally. The way we had planned it, when we had planned it, how we had planned it. And I, I'm just always amazed at couples that can say, yeah, we're going to get pregnant next month. And they do. And we're going to have three kids. They're going to be 22 months apart. They're all going to be born in May. You know, it's like, good Lord. It's just amazing. They're little machine, little baby machines. But for Pam and I, we were, our factory was broken. And we needed a special delivery if we were going to have any babies. And we began to pray. And, but the Lord put on our heart specifically to pray for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. Now, I'm telling you, the first few times I prayed that, I felt, that's a, that's a wish. That's a whim. I, I felt so embarrassed even to tell people that because I was just convinced it was just my own desires. But I felt strongly God began to put this hope in me for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. Fast forward, Abram, uh, our 16-year-old, he, he was given to us in a really remarkable story. This mom walked up to us. She was six months pregnant. And she, um, she said to us, I, I have three children. This four, I have a fourth child coming. He's a boy. Um, and I, I just can't take care of him. I'm a single mom. I can't take care of another child. And I, she, this, is, uh, this is a Texas woman, so this is how Texas women do things. She says, I was mowing my yard at six months pregnant, and the Lord spoke to me. Now, that's Texas women, all right? So you just got to know that. So she said, um, she, I was mowing my yard with a push mower, like 100 degrees outside, and the Lord spoke to me. I thought, no, you've had a heat stroke. Yeah, that's why, that's why. This, is not, this is not the Lord speaking. You've had a heat stroke. You need to lie down. She, but she said to me, she said, um, no, I, I want you to have the child. And Pam and I said, we'll pray about it. Okay. It's like that quick. So three months later, Abram was born to us. Two years later, 
a little college mom, 19 years old, with a child already, uh, same guy, she's pregnant again, the relationship's not going anywhere, she wants to finish college, she walks up to us, she says, I'm, I'm going to give birth to this child, I don't know if it's a boy or girl, but in three weeks I'm giving birth, she had done very little prenatal care, um, in three weeks I'm going to give birth, would you take this baby that I'm carrying? We said yes, and three weeks later, uh, Callie was born to us, and today she's 14, she has red curly hair and blue eyes, she's beautiful, exactly the what God had spoken to my heart <clears throat> for years. Now, I know some of you have heard that story, okay, and, I, and I'm, I'm retelling it for a reason, because it's a part of the story I've never told that I, that I wanted you to hear this morning as I finish my time. You see, uh, in both of those cases, we were at the hospital when the birth mom gave birth. In both those cases, we had a ceremony in the little church chapel there at the hospital. The most emotional thing I've ever been through, I, and I'm a pastor, so I, I'm involved with a lot of emotional issues with people, but in this, this was by far the most emotional thing I'd ever experienced in my life. The, the mom, in Abram's case, the birth mom, who, and the father was nowhere to be known or found, the father of Abram, but she, with her dad, wanted to have a ceremony where she came and handed the baby to Pam and wanted it, then her, her dad and her to hand the baby to Pam and wanted me to pray over her and over Abram uh, as, as the baby was given to us. Now, I want you to think, Pam and I have been married 10 years. No babies. Suddenly, we're in a small chapel at a hospital where a baby a few feet away from us is walking toward us like this. 10 years of praying and hoping and believing. Suddenly, we're a few feet away. This baby's headed our way. She's about to hand this baby to us. And she hands it to her. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's divide the room up. Because I've never experienced anything like this. Let's say this half of the room from here this way, that we're here this morning for a funeral of someone that you love and admire, and it's a funeral. This half of the room, we're here to celebrate the wedding of two people we really love. And it's an exciting time. Two people that we didn't think would ever get married, they got married. It's an awesome union from God. We see God all over it, and we're here to celebrate. It's an amazing wedding, one of those great weddings you go to. Over here, sudden loss of someone you really love, and you never saw the death coming. That was what the room felt like, those two colliding sets of emotions. We, my family, who had flown in from all over the country, hope, hope was about, we had hope for years that we would have children, and the joy of a baby was about to be given to us. We had been hoping, longing, hoping, longing there. She's getting closer, and I wanted to go, come on, come on, I'm rooting her on, come on, get across the room. And, I, and I, but I, at the same time, I'm trying to be sensitive because she's sobbing because under the conditions of our adoption, the adoption was going to be closed. So she had no visitation rights after she did this. There was no contact with us unless we initiated it. I mean, it was one of the, most, it was one of the bravest things I've ever seen a woman do in my life. Brave of her, courageous of her to choose life and then to choose to, a family for that baby. And I, I'm watching her. She's walking over to us, getting closer, the baby in her hands. Every year when I get close to the Advent, 
I think about the nation of Israel seeing a star in the sky, hearing rumors of a baby being born in Bethlehem, Simeon and Anna in a temple fasting and praying that their eyes would see the Messiah before they died. Simeon and Anna looking up one day, going to their normal worship routine in the temple, praying for the coming Messiah. And Simeon and Anna looking, and there's a young couple with a baby walking toward them. And Simeon says, I can go to heaven now. I'm paraphrasing. My eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. You see, hope and joy are two very different things, but they work together very beautifully. Let me give you a couple of sentences as I end my time today. I've really been thinking about this, and the Lord has given me, I think, some real clarity on these two very complicated words. But I believe that hope is believing that God is at work. When a person really believes that God is at work in their life, they are the most hopeful people you'll ever be around. These are people that are willing to go through trials and tribulations. They're willing to to go through hardships because they know God is at work in them. Hope, the nation of Israel, although they could barely see it, it was a faint glimmer, the nation of Israel at this time, they were holding on to the slimmest of hopes, the shred of hope, because they knew the prophets had spoken. Isaiah had spoken. Out of the stump of Jesse, a root's going to appear. And all of that sounded shallow. There was a few of them that held out hope. And those people, the reason they were hopeful is because they believed God was at work, even when they couldn't see it. You see, joy is something else. Joy is seeing God at work. And that day in the chapel, in the wedding chapel, Pam and I had walked into that chapel hopeful. But the joy came when we saw God at work. The joy, the real joy, was when they, when they put that baby in our arms and we called him our own. We did the same with Callie. When Callie's little 19-year-old birth mom handed the baby to us, I'll never forget, she looked, leaned over to me and she wanted the blanket that Callie was wrapped in because she wanted to hold on to the smell of Callie for a few more days. And so we unwrapped the little pink blanket, gave it to her with the baby smell, the good baby, the good baby smells on it. And... Um, <laughs> And we put a new towel, or a new blanket around Callie to get her out to the car. And then she, she's holding this loose blanket in her arms, and she pulls me, almost grabs me almost, and pulls me in. She says, make sure Callie is always a daddy's girl. I said, done. <laughs> and I have. That's joy. I saw God at work. It's one thing to hope for babies or hope to be married one day or hope for world peace or to hope that the hungry in our city get taken care of. But the joy is taking a meal to the homeless. The joy is taking somebody and reconciling a, a black man and a white man who have been hated one another. That's the joy of seeing God at work. It's a, I'm hopeful for racial peace in our city, but the joy is when I see it. That's joy to me. All right, but here's the good news for us. I said, well, well, that sounds very nice for you, Pastor Brady, that you're, think the thing you were hoping for happened, very good story. I'm going to walk out of here very, feeling a bit empty because I'm hoping for something and I don't have any clue. I see no evidence. Here's the whole reason for the Advent. At a time when the nation of Israel was in its darkest place, when it didn't seem like it 
they could, they could endure any more oppression from an evil government and a military that was oppressing and killing them, Jesus came. Jesus arrived. Jesus appeared. To a little scared young teenage couple in the middle of nowhere in the outpost of the Roman Empire, Jesus arrived. And the reason we are hopeful for those things that I just mentioned is because we believe God is at work in racial reconciliation. We believe God is at work in tending to the widows, the orphans, and the poor in our city. We believe God is at work. But the reason we're a joyful people is because we have seen God at work. We have seen Jesus arrive on the planet. We are witnesses and storytellers of a 2,000-year-old story that Jesus has arrived. And he is here, and he's coming again. That's why we're joyful. Can I pray for you this morning? I've come today to stir up hope in you again. And I've come this morning to remind you of why you can leave here with joy. Jesus has arrived. Jesus is here. Jesus is returning. And I want to pray. If you walk in today hoping, I want to encourage you. I hope my story encouraged you a bit. Don't, don't give up hope. Joy is coming. Joy has come, and joy is coming. The Father in heaven, we thank you today. Lord, I'm reminded of that scripture in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And Lord, I know that scripture, I've reminded myself of that scripture that sometimes when we, when it, it seems like it's waiting is just going on much longer than we thought, that our hearts can actually start feeling sick. But Lord, you've come today to remind us that you have already entered into the world, that you're not a long way away. In fact, you, your name is Emmanuel. God with us, God among us. And Father, this morning I pray over everyone here. I pray today that they would be reminded by the help of your Holy Spirit that you're not a God who is far away, but you're a God who came near through Jesus. And the Lord, that you're an ever-present help, that the presence of you did not, even when you left us physically, Jesus, you told us that you would not leave us as orphans, but that you would send the help of the Holy Spirit so that we would always fear, feel and know that you're near us, that you're with us. So, Father, thank you for sending your Son, and thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Father, today we are a people of hope, and we are a people of joy because of your arrival and because of your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.